0: You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey everybody, it's very great to have you here in the building as well as those that are watching um, all over the world actually. I don't know if all of you know that we started a television program a few months back and we're in Kenya and, and the Atlanta area up and down the West Coast and quite a few other places as well and so it's very exciting. You can see us on the Dove here locally on Channel 15 I think it is on Bin Broadband but um, it's really great to have just a, a broader audience that's kind of tuning in and um, being discipled by West Side Church so uh, it's great. We're in this series on the book of Romans. Uh, We're in part seven of a nine-part series, so we're coming up to the end, and we are going to be looking at Romans chapters 9 through 11 today. Don't worry, we're not going to read all three of those chapters, but you know, the longer that I live, which is getting, feels like longer and longer now, um, the more I realize how much your past, your present, and your future are all tied together, that God is at work. Um, He's still at work in our lives, and, um, and he's for us. Um, And that he's working in us. And I love how David describes this in Psalm chapter 139, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. You saw me, David prays, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. Let's pray. Jesus, as we open up your word today, would it come to life again? Would we see how you are working? your purposes out in our lives, Jesus, in all of our experiences from our past to our present and even into the future, that you are at work and that we would see your hand and we recognize that you are with us and that your thoughts about us are precious and that, and that you are, are, are constantly even thinking about us um, and help us to see that side of you um, today, we pray in your name, amen. Well, I love what we looked at last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul writes, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I don't know about you, but I've wrestled a lot with this passage. Matter of fact, for a while, I didn't like it. Um, And then yet another part of me realizes that I can't live without it. Um, how can God cause, as some of you might know our story, how could God cause the death of my son to turn anything into good? Now, let me tell you, my son's death was not good. And anybody that would tell you something bad is good because of God isn't, isn't reading the scripture correctly. But how could God work that together for good? Yet the longer, right, the longer I, I live away from that event, it's been uh, six years, uh, seven, five years now, how, the longer I live from that event, the more I realize that how true this verse really is. And it gives me hope. So no matter what you're going through, the diagnosis, the financial difficulties, the broken relationships, there, there's something in this that God is doing that maybe we can't see or we don't understand. See, God has, has brought good out of the tragedy that my family experienced. For instance, our priorities have changed. I'm much more apt to spend time with my children than I was before. I'm much more um, present in it. every moment is precious. I know that now. I mean, I know it. I didn't know it the way I know it now, right? And every moment is precious. So I take opportunity, right? I take, I take moments with my family, our relationships, with our kids. They're no, it's no longer transactional, you know? It's deeper, more meaningful. Everyone, actually everyone in our entire sphere of relationships, the people that were impacted by our tragedy, highly value being present more than ever before. So, so those are some good things that happened in the middle of a bad thing so none of us obviously none of us know what the future holds and none of us uh, have a crystal ball to see how things are going to work out but but you're going to see again just kind of a deeper at a deeper level that we can have confidence today that God is present in your past but also in your future and that you can trust him. What's interesting is that right after Paul wrote those words in Romans chapter 8, he launches into this, what, what seems to be an interruption in his own discussion about, about how God is working everything out for good. And he, and he does three chapters about the nation of Israel. I mean, I'm not going to read very much of it because it's just a lot about Israel. And you can read it later and I encourage you to do that. But, he's, but he, it's like it's, it almost feels like an interruption. Um, But as you dig into it, you begin to realize what Paul's doing is that he's giving his readers a case study of how God was at work in Israel's past, in their present, and in their future. That he was working things out for good for the nation of Israel. And so it's it's just this long kind of case study of, of how God is doing that. In Romans uh, chapter nine, Paul explains, and you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there with me. And if you don't, um, open up it on your phone and follow along with me. Um, and in Romans nine, Paul is Explains to his readers that what, um, that what he gave the Israelites, when he gave the Israelites their identity as children of God, it wasn't because of their bloodline connected to Abraham. They're grown in, this, in the Jewish tradition, this sense of pride that we are children of Abraham. We find our roots in Abraham, and so we are children of God because we find our roots in Abraham. And Paul um, goes after that idea because if that, if that's true then if you if you don't, if you can't find your roots back to Abraham then you're not a child of God or Abraham had other children besides the child of promise. Isaac, are they children of God just because they're children of Abraham? Do you see, do you see the problem with this? And so, so Paul is kind of coming after this. And so he's, he's showing them then rather than having your identity as, as a child of God because you're connected to Abraham, you are a child of God because of God's promise, because of who God is not where you can find your, 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 um, your physical genealogy. And so in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children, for the scriptures say Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. So who are the children of promise? Well, everyone who hears the promises of God and puts their faith in him are children of God. That's Paul's primary argument in the entire book of Romans is that if you put your faith in God, you are justified. You become a child of God because of your faith in him. Not because of your bloodline, but because of your faith. Whether you're Jewish or Greek or Roman or, hey, guess what? American. You can be a child of God. Um, and this message is for all of us. That's why, that's why this is good news that everyone can have a relationship with God. God's, we receive God's grace right when we put our faith in his promises. So, what are his promises? Uh, this is where it gets very, very interesting. What are God's promises? Sometimes I've found that we come to believe uh, for things that God never promised. And I'll, we'll talk about that. Or that he promised f- for someone else. Someone else's promise we just assume is our promise. Now, this is interesting. Let me, let me talk, let's talk about this. So maybe you've, ever, maybe you've heard someone say that if you follow Jesus, life will be easy. <laughs> Yeah, those are the people that are laughing have been with Jesus for a while now. Um, you, you, no, of course not. What did Jesus actually promise? In this life, you will have what? Trouble. Tribulation. Tribulation, trouble. Bummer, right? <laughs> So who wants to receive Jesus, right? It's like, so we understand why we've tried to change the promises of God to make it more appealing to a generation, but that, that's not a pro- that promise that life would be easy if you follow Jesus or everything will work out. <laughs> everything will just get lined up and everything will be exactly as you always dreamed it to be. God wants to fulfill all of your dreams. Where does it say that, right? No, so we, sometimes we believe in promises. Or, or what about this one? If you follow Jesus... Matter of fact, not only if you follow Jesus, but if you give a little bit more in the plate, God will give you a little bit more in your plate. (laughs) Right? That if you follow Jesus, you will have wealth. It's not in the book. It's just not there. That's not a promise from God. So, So sometimes we believe in promises that actually aren't promises, right? But what about promises that God gave to other people? Here's a really interesting one and this was going to cause a little bit of like a little bit of tension in the room i think because some people read God's promise to let's just pick any old testament figure Joshua let's say it's Joshua and remember what God promised Joshua everywhere you place your feet i've given to you what a promise everywhere you literally walk Joshua everywhere you walk as you cross into the promised land all the land that whatever wherever your feet go i'm giving that land to you <laughs> Wow. So we take that and we go like, I really like my neighbor's house. Just walk on in there and say, I'm taking over. (laughs) Hallelujah. Or maybe you should walk around the property line, around their fence, seven times praying that God's presence will move and the fences will just come down like the walls of Jericho. No, of course not. We know that's a silly illustration, but sometimes you'd be surprised how people sometimes literally take promises that God gave to other people and apply, try to apply them to our situation. And so what does God actually promise? That's probably a really good question. My wife just had a birthday yesterday, and so I think I'm thinking a lot about how long we've both lived. <laughs> and I won't tell you how long she's lived, but... Um, longer than me anyway um (laughs) I won't tell you that (laughs) but um I've 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 you know when I was young I thought the promises of God were there were so many God's promises were many that's kind of how I felt and now I realize at least for me that God's promises are not are fewer than I thought but they're more expansive in terms of their impact And some of the promises of God that I strongly hold on to, that I believe are for me and for you, is that he will be your daddy and you will be his kid. I know it. I know that's true. That's a promise that he made in the Old Testament to Abraham, and I believe he still makes it today to you and me that he is your Abba, Father. Loves you and he wants you to be his child. Another promise that I hold on to that I believe is for us is that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's always with us through the hard times, through the great times. I also believe the promise is that if you believe in him, you will be saved. That's a promise that if you put your faith in God, he will redeem you. I believe another promise is that because Christ was raised from the dead, you and I will also be raised to life one day. That these earthly bodies, when they are finished and through, we are not. I believe another promise is when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that you will be with me. in paradise." I, I believe that's true for you and for me. These are just a few of the promises that are that, that if we if we actually allow them to soak into our soul, they're expansive in terms of their impact and how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see other people in our lives. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter eleven, verse thirty-three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions. And his ways, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? <laughs> Not me. I've stopped trying to give God, God advice. Do this for me, do that for me. I need, you, I need this, I need that. And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Verse 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Amen. See, when you feel abandoned, God promises I will never leave you. When you feel unloved, God promises that you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry out, Abba, Father. When you feel ashamed over over your sin, God promises that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we need to rely on these promises like, like we rely on the air we breathe or the food that we eat. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we rely on these promises? How do we put our faith and our trust in these things? Well, first, we need to remember who God is. We need to keep coming back to, to these truths about who God is because the world increasingly sees faith as foolishness. The, key, the, the world is trying to pull us away from putting our faith in God and putting our faith in ourselves instead. Faith in a God, in the God, doesn't always make sense to our world. Sometimes it's unpopular. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to them. And, you know, I was talking to one of my sons uh, about his faith journey, and he's had some questions, and he's... He's, he's kind of deconstructing some things, and whenever you hear that word deconstruction, as a parent, you, get, you start freaking out a little bit, like, don't do that, don't do that. You know. But I, I actually encourage my children to ask questions and to dig deeper in the, into their own faith because I love, someone, I heard someone say this years ago, God doesn't have any grandchildren, he only has children. And I don't want, I don't want my faith to be, to, my sons just to adopt my faith because it's all that, they, I want them to be their faith. I want it to be their faith, and so I've encouraged them to dig into their own relationship with Christ. And, and as we were talking, he said, something, he said he said something really interesting. He said, "You know, I just feel something in worship that I don't feel anywhere else." And I, I don't think faith is just about feeling something, but he's recognized that there's something more. In those moments that nothing else in this world offers, that there's a presence in those places, right? There are moments in life where we see something or feel something or we read something and it reminds us who God is and that he is actually with us. Hold on to those moments. Reflect on those moments. Journal those moments Come back to those moments when you, when you felt the presence of God, when you knew that he was real in your life and it will sustain you through those moments where you're not sure what God is doing or maybe the world is discouraging you from your faith and hold on to those moments, those places where God was real to you, where you knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was with you and nothing could ever have changed that but life has a way. We need to remember who God is. Second thing we need to do is, that, is to remember that God's not done with you. God is not done with us. God is working his purpose in all of our lives, in your past. The things that you, they're so painful and so deep and the trauma that might exist there, that God is working in those things in your life. He's working in your present to bring about some kind of wholeness and health, even because of some of those things in our past. And because of that, you can have confidence that he's gonna to continue to work in your future. Some here and some on that are watching online, they, they have lost their faith. They've just lost it. The same God who spoke to you as a teenager is present today. For those of you who have become filled with doubt and frustration or uncertainty, Jesus is patient and kind with us. I love this story. I just love the story of when right after Jesus died, um, a couple of his friends were walking back to their town disappointed, dejected. They're like, how could? We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to bring about God's rulership, and, and, and he died a horrible death on the, on a cross. It's just the worst way to die. I mean, this is not in the pain of it, but just the, the shame of it. I mean, it was just awful. And, and so they're, they're, they are they they have not heard that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they're walking uh, back home and guess who shows up? Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus starts to tell them, all the places in the bible that it promised that god that jesus would have to die but he would come back to life and he just unpacked all of the scripture to them about what what god is doing in their past and in their present and and in their future what they could put their hope in right and they don't they don't recognize him and then then they finally get to the house and they 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 break bread together and that's when they recognize him but then jesus disappears right then and uh and then they're disappointed again. No, they they ran back to tell the other disciples in Jerusalem. I mean, it's just this amazing story. But what is, what's so powerful about it is that Jesus took time with them to help them see who he was in the scripture. He just walked with them and opened up the Bible and said, this is what it, this is what it means. This is who I am. He wants to do that with us. Not only that, but God's chosen each of us to be carriers of his purpose and plans for the earth all of us that are part of what he's doing he he wishes that none would perish but all would come to a saving knowledge of him right and and so every conversation that you and I have every act of kindness that we that we can show to this world tells the world that God loves them and wants to be a good father to them And there's nothing they have to do to earn his favor. Just simply put your faith in him. We get to be carriers of that message. We can remind people, as we've been reminded, who God is and that he's not done with them. And that he has a purpose and a plan for them. In chapter 10, verse 9, we'll finish up with this. Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the most powerful passages in the entire book of Romans. See, God wants to bring together our past, our present, and our future, and work His will and His purposes in those places. And He wants us to see that He's at work in our lives. And He wants to encourage you to put your trust in Him, to let go of the cynicism and the, that has penetrated our faith. The, and, and sometimes we need to declare some things. Sometimes We need to believe some things again and again and again. Maybe for the first time or maybe the 500th time, we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Yes, to be saved, absolutely. That's so important. But also, our souls need us to hear ourselves say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe in you. I confess you as my Savior and Lord again today. I found that this is a daily decision. It's not a one and done kind of deal. You know, we have a a tradition that when we ask people to come to Jesus, we have them raise their hands, you know, and just kind of raise their hand and look up at me, and it's a very private moment. It's a very kind of individual moment, and, and I, I think that's okay. I, but, it's, but at some point in, some, in, in our journey, we need to make a confession of faith, and not just, not just to a priest. To ourselves, but also to others. I think there are secret Christians all around our nation. I heard someone tell me, I mean, just a while back, it wasn't that long ago, that they were kind of proud of the fact that nobody at their work knew that they were a Christ follower. And I, uh, is, that, is that being a follower of Jesus? Is that where I think God's calling us not to be rude and obnoxious Christians, please, Don 't take this and do that but to but to say to make confessions in front of our family and our friends, that you know I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't tell people I'm a Christian anymore, that's a whole nother message of why i don't but but I tell people I'm a follower of Jesus and I, and, to, and to actually say i I've, I've put my faith in him. I've, I follow him, I follow his teachings. I, 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 I've given my life to him. I'm submitted to his purposes. And yeah, it's not maybe a popular thing to say, and maybe they have, maybe they'll all, all of a sudden put you into some other category that you actually don't want to be a part of and all of that stuff, but there's something powerful when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and believe in our hearts that He has raised him from the dead. So, two challenges today for some of you i want to encourage you to challenge you to put your faith in him today to believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead to make that as part of your faith of who god is and the second challenge is i'm going to ask some of you all of you To openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and I'm not going to do that in the service today because most of us are followers of Jesus and it's really easy to do it here I'm gonna challenge you to do it out there and I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment but would you bow your heads with me and I want to give an opportunity for people right now for the first time to put their faith in Jesus and for some of you, you just, need to, you just need to reconfirm that decision to put your faith in him. And so would you just simply say this prayer with me? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I put my faith in that. Thank you, Jesus. You can look back up. I'd like everyone to take out their cell phones. I'm actually being pretty serious right now. I mean, I just feel like some of you don't have to do this, but everybody can take out their cell phones and at least feel like, oh, Jesus, what is he going to ask me to do right now with this thing? Um, and so you're like, I didn't bring my cell phone. Liar. We always have it on us. Um, I want you to go public with your faith. Um, I don't want you to do it on a street corner. I don't want you to start going out there and going crazy or anything, but there's two ways that you can go public today. One is to get baptized. If you've never been baptized, or maybe you have got baptized as an infant, and you never made that choice as an adult, today is your day. One o'clock, Bill Hilly Bridge will be baptizing people from our church family, and I encourage you to to come down and be baptized. That is a public declaration of your faith. There will be people, there will be a lot. I'm just gonna make this even more intimidating for you. There's gonna be a lot of people in the river probably, and they're gonna be floating by, and we did this last year, and it was amazing. People are looking at us like we're crazy. Then every once in a while, you get a Christian from a different church that's just floating the river, and they just start applauding. They're like, yeah, cheering with us, and it's awesome. But it is, it, it, it is the way that the, the early church made a public declaration. It was very much like, the, I'm a Christian, through their baptism. And then the second way that I want you to go public, and this is what your cell phone is for, is there someone in your family or at work or in your social sphere that you actually have their number in your phone that doesn't know you're a follower of Jesus you think about that for a moment who in your sphere doesn't know that you're a follower of jesus and what i want you to do right now is i want you to text them you're like what do i text them i'm glad you asked it's on the screen you can just borrow mine my pastor challenged me to go public today regarding my faith so i wanted to tell you that i'm a follower of jesus That's going to be an interesting conversation later. And I think that's good. Because God isn't through with you. He wants to work his purposes. To have redemption and restoration and love for this world through your life and through your relationships. He wants to establish his purposes in you and through you in the lives of others. So Jesus, would you give us courage today to go public, to let our world know that we love you and that we follow you. And, and, and Lord, I pray that that would open up doors of, of good conversations, healthy conversations with people that, that are far from you or who don't know you, that, that would, would bring life into their lives. Jesus, give us the words to say by your Holy Spirit. But Lord, I pray specifically for courage. I pray for those that feel like they're supposed to get water baptized today. Give them the courage to take that step. Give us all the courage to open up our mouths and confess you as our Lord to a world that is increasingly without you. Jesus, we love you. Help us not to be weird as we do all of these things. Help us to stay connected to your word, but help us to be bold. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.